this is a faithful saying, deserving full acceptance, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, among whom I am chief. 1 Timothy 1 and verse 15. I'm Jason Garcia, and this is Faithful Sayings. Well, good morning, and thanks for tuning in. My Bible is open to Galatians chapter 2. I hope you'll take a Bible out and join me this morning in our study to Galatians chapter 2. We're going to be looking at verse 20 to begin with. We're going to be thinking specifically about baptism this morning. That's a, a not necessarily a hot topic in the religious world, but a much discussed one. A lot of different views as to regard uh, in regard to the role of baptism in the New Testament, especially uh, what relationship it has to salvation. And so we're going to be thinking about that this morning, letting the Scripture answer. And we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 2. In Galatians 2, in verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Uh, so here Paul makes a, a Peculiar statement. What does he mean that by I have been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me? Uh, I want to focus on the first part of that statement uh, for the sake of our study this morning. You know, how could Paul have been crucified with Christ? Obviously, he doesn't mean that literally, right? He wasn't present at the crucifixion when Jesus died. He was, Christ was crucified between two thieves. And we read in the Gospels and you know, we have obviously the most glaring piece of evidence that Paul is alive as he's writing this uh, physically, that is, uh, to the brethren in Galatia. And so what he obviously doesn't mean this in a literal, physical way that he's been crucified with, with Christ. So rather, this is a figure of speech uh, that Paul is saying that he has somehow shared in the death of Christ. In some sense, he died uh, and yet he remains among the living. And specifically, he died uh, by sharing in Jesus' death. Uh, so how do, we, uh, how do we corroborate that with the Scriptures? What does the rest of the Bible have to say? Does it offer any insight? And I think it does in Romans chapter 6. You know, the Bible, the Bible is its own best commentary. And any Bible question uh, certainly has a Bible answer. And... We just need to let the Scripture answer for us. Uh, so, where else does Paul speak of um, this kind of this kind of death that he's referring to in Galatians chapter two? I think Romans six is another place. If you look in Romans chapter six, here in this discussion about uh, uh, conversion and again the role of of baptism, as Paul is writing to the church at Rome as to how they should view this new life they have now as as Christians. And, you know, he begins that chapter, chapter 6 and verse 1 by saying, What shall we say? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? And he says, May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? So this is the sense and uh, the kind of death that Paul is, is speaking about in Romans 6 and, and in Galatians 2 and in other epistles and scriptures as well. Uh, this idea that when we become a new creation in Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.17, when we become that new creation, we are uh, dead to sin, we die to sin. And Paul will make the point later in this uh, chapter that we need to consider the members of our body as, as dead to sin, and we are now 
slaves of righteousness, verse 13, and we should present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness. Um, but back to the beginning of this, this chapter, Paul goes uh, and speaks to that, uh, in verse 3, initial point of of death. When when did this death take place? Verse 3, he says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into his death? Therefore we have been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we might also walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of of his resurrection, knowing this, that our old self, listen to this, verse 6, knowing that our old self was crucified with him in order that our body of sin might be done away with so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. So what is Paul wrapping up in this idea of being baptized into the death of Christ, as he says in verse 3? Well, he says our that that old person that we were, that old body of sin that we had was crucified in verse 6, he says specifically. And that is the sense that Paul was crucified, as he mentions in Galatians chapter 2 that we read at the beginning of our study just a moment ago, that he has been crucified with Christ. And it's not he, that that old man, that old Paul that lives any longer, but it's, it is now the new Paul who lives in the likeness of, of Christ and, and bears his image just as he says here in Romans chapter 4 in this passage, a parallel passage, I'm persuaded, uh, that he was raised to walk in, in newness of life in, in Christ because he is united with Christ, verse 5, as he says here. So that is the sense in which Paul died in which all people must die if they're going to come to Christ. And, and the Bible is specifically uh, associating that event with baptism, being immersed in water, for the forgiveness of sins. So this death that Paul experienced, again, was the same death that all people must experience and do experience when they are baptized into Christ. Our old self is crucified with him. And, you know, we when we look at the scriptures, we see this stated in many different ways and the necessity of baptism uh, is stated in, in many different ways. You know, I think most uh, notably, probably in the first gospel sermon that was ever preached to the world after uh, Jesus uh, had uh, been raised from the dead, and, and at this point in Acts chapter two, where we're going to be reading, uh, has already ascended, and he's given the great commission already before this, and so now all these uh, Jews, religious-minded people, are are in Jerusalem where the disciples are. Uh, where Jesus commanded them to be, uh, that beginning at Jerusalem, they would preach the gospel and forgiveness of sins uh, to the world and then go out uh, into the world and, and do that. Uh, but Peter is addressing this initial audience in Acts chapter 2, and he is convicting them of who Jesus is, and he's even accusing them. He's saying that his blood is, is on your hands. This is the one that you have uh, crucified uh, in Acts uh, Chapter 2, in verse 36, he says, Therefore let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus 
whom you crucified. So Jesus, uh, rather Peter, is getting to the point here. He's taking these people to task. He's not pulling any punches. He's preached this sermon, and now he's bringing it home, and he's saying, Jesus is the Christ, and God has made him both Lord and Christ, and you have crucified him. And then it says in verse 37, when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? And here comes Peter's answer in verse 38. Peter said to them, Repent, and each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So nothing has changed since Peter's time. Since Peter preached that first sermon, and people came to believe uh, that Jesus is the Christ, and they understood in verse 37. They were convicted by this. They were sorry that they had crucified Jesus. They were uh, penitent, and and they are ready for action now. They say in, at the end of verse 37, what are, what are we going to do? Men and brethren, what, what shall we do? And Peter gives them the answer, and he says, repent. Correct the wrong. Have a change of heart, and let that flow into a change of action. And then he says, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. And so, you know, there's numerous numerous examples we could go to and see consistently where baptism is part of, only part of, the the plan of, of salvation. Obviously, if these people had just been baptized without ever hearing uh, the gospel or without having faith or without being penitent, uh, they would just be getting wet. It wouldn't. It, it doesn't have any meaning. Baptism is a command of God through the apostles, as we see here, and and, and many other passages. But um, it, again, it's only part of the plan of of salvation. Without faith, the Hebrew writer says it's impossible to please God. And Peter here in this very verse that we just read in verse thirty eight says they also need to repent. You know, baptism without repentance is is meaningless, and but nevertheless, our focus is on baptism this morning, and we want to to see and establish uh, in the scriptures how it is critical that it is integral to God's plan of salvation, contrary to uh, what some of our friends may may teach. And so uh, now, what I would like to do is consider uh, some counter arguments uh, as to why baptism is is not part of the plan of salvation. So what are some things, uh, some reasons, scriptural reasons that folks often put forward uh, as to why people should not be baptized and and deny that someone must be baptized in order to receive the free gift of salvation to be forgiven of his or her sins, as Peter says here uh, in Acts 2.38, as well as Jesus himself in Mark chapter 16 in verse 16, that whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. So again, the Bible is its own best commentary. God has taught us that the truth can be found in His Word, and so we must turn to His Bible and open His Bible if we want to find the answer. So uh, let's think about some of these arguments now uh, put forth uh, by other religious thinkers in the, in the world as to why baptism isn't necessary for salvation and, and weigh those arguments against the scriptures and consider all passages. You know, um, in Matthew chapter 4, 
just as an illustration, and you don't need to turn there and, and read this, but um, when Satan came to Jesus to tempt him, uh, it's almost like this battle of, of Scripture. I mean, you wouldn't think that that's what a battle with the enemy looks like, but here is here is the devil offering passages of Scripture in order to tempt Jesus uh, to, to disobey and to get him to submit to the devil's will. And when we look at how Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 4, how does he respond? He responds with more Scripture. Uh, so he will say time and time again, it, it is written, it is also written. As the devil is saying, it is written, it is written. And so, you know, people can, anybody can can misuse the Scriptures, and we have to be careful to handle the word of truth accurately, as Paul says in 2 Timothy uh, 2.15. So what that implies is, is that there's a right way and a wrong way to handle the word of God, and there's a perfect example of that in Matthew chapter 4, as the devil is using passages of, of Scripture and, and resting them and bending them to try and get Jesus uh, to, to sin, uh, Jesus in turn answers with more Scripture and says, here's here's the whole picture, essentially, right? Here, you're giving me, you're trying to tempt me with part of 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 the Bible and resting it uh, and 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 misusing it. But here is here's the whole picture, and he answers with more scripture. So that really speaks to David's point in Psalm one nineteen and verse one sixty when he said that the sum of your word is truth. The sum of your word is truth, and so that's what we're going to be doing this morning, essentially, with regard to baptism. What we need to do with any Bible question is to take the sum of the Word of God. We take all that it has to say about uh, baptism or about the Holy Spirit or about whatever it is that we're we're studying specifically, the church, and we add that up, and the sum of that is, is truth. We're putting it all together. Uh, so uh, one of those passages that's, um, that's used as an argument, is actually Mark 16, 16, when I just read a moment ago, that where Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Whoever does not believe will be condemned. Um, and the argument that's often given is that Mark 16, and specifically that verse, should not even be considered authoritative, shouldn't even be in the Bible, because it's not found in some of the earliest New Testament manuscripts. And it's, and really, it's verses nine, 9 through 20 in Mark chapter 16 that aren't that aren't found there, not just verse 16 and some of those uh, early manuscripts that these folks are referring to. And that's true. Uh, Sinaiticus and Va- Vaticanus, uh, those are two uh, of the earliest and two well-known uh, manuscripts, along with, uh, I think it's Alexandrinus maybe, uh, that exclude uh, Mark chapter 16 and that particular passage. So the rest of Mark is there. In those manuscripts, uh, but chapter, but verses nine through twenty in chapter sixteen aren't there, and so the reasoning goes because they aren't there in those early manuscripts, then they shouldn't be in in our Bibles as they're printed in in my Bible that I have before me, and and likely it is in yours uh, unless you have a very special edition. Uh, I've never found a Bible that doesn't include Mark chapter sixteen verses nine through twenty. Uh, why is that? Uh, despite this argument that is being put forth here, uh, that it's not in those manuscripts. Uh, well, those other manuscripts that don't include Mark chapter 16, verses 9 through 20, also don't include most of the book of Genesis, chapters 1 through nearly the end of the book. Uh, 
Uh, it also doesn't include several chapters from Second Kings, and it excludes Psalms 106 through 137. They also exclude First uh, and Second Timothy, Titus, Philemon, the latter part of the book of Hebrews, and all of Revelation. Uh, so my point is, and here's here's what I'm getting at, that those two manuscripts that exclude Mark 16, 9 through 20, also exclude uh, a large chunk uh, and entire books of the other Bible as well. And so why don't we hear our friends objecting to Titus or 1 Timothy or 2 Timothy being included in the Bible uh, for the same reason that Mark 16, 16 isn't included in those same manuscripts? Would they willingly admit that those passages need to be and those entire books need to be omitted from our Bibles today. Uh, and the truth is we, we have to rely on a vast amount of manuscript evidence to collate the Scriptures. So not just those two that uh, those folks are singling out, but there's, uh, you know, there's thousands of, of manuscripts, uh, and we use all of that evidence to compose the Scriptures that God has preserved for us. And... Also, just as a another talking point or something to think about, that a hundred years before uh, those two manuscripts that, that our friends may cite, Vatic, Vaticanus and Sinaiticus, uh, before those manuscripts were ever completed, we have Christians like um, Irenaeus, and uh, who was an apologist and and is sometimes thought of as a quote unquote church father, um, one of the earliest Christians who wrote prolifically, he quotes Mark chapter 16 uh, and verse 16 uh, before those other manuscripts are ever written. So how did he know of that uh, passage? So, uh, you know, much more could be established, uh, said to establish the, the authenticity of Mark 16 verses 9 through 20 specifically, uh, because remember the rest of the book of Mark is, is there in those manuscripts. But uh, I'm going to leave further investigation to you uh, but however, that's enough to satisfy to satisfy me, and, and I hope you as well, that that argument doesn't hold any weight. Um, so what's another argument that's, that's sometimes put forth? Uh, well, that passage that we read in Acts 2.38 also, just, just a minute ago, um, the argument goes, well, that's been mistranslated in most Bibles, and it doesn't prove that one needs to be baptized to have her sins forgiven. Uh, where Peter says, as we read, uh, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Uh, and they will say that's been trans mistranslated, and what it should read is you need to repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, uh, because your sins are forgiven. And the basis for that argument comes from uh, at, at least in, in their minds, that the original language uh, should be rendered rendered that way. Um, but when we get to digging and looking at the original language, we see that that doesn't support uh, their their teaching, their their theory. Uh, so A.T. Robertson was a guy who uh, supported this this claim, and I, maybe maybe he initially put it forth. I don't know. Uh, but they will they will claim a parallel reading is in Matthew twelve forty one and that that really has the correct rendering of that that one little word for 
before Peter says, for the forgiveness of sins, in uh, in Matthew twelve forty one. What does Jesus say in Matthew chapter twelve, in verse forty one? Here he's making a point about uh, the teaching of Jonah and how people responded to it in Nineveh uh, when he went about preaching. And in Matthew twelve forty one, it says that the men of Jesus says that the men of Nineveh will rise up against, uh, excuse me, rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for they repented at the preaching of Jonah, and behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Uh, so that phrase, uh, if you're listening to that and you think, well, I didn't hear the word for, because, or any anything in there uh, that sounds similar to Acts 2.38, uh, well, again, think we're looking at the religious, uh, excuse me, the original language, and in the original language there is uh, one word that's, that's used and translated there um, when Jesus says, they repented at or because of the preaching of Jonah. So it's the same word uh, that's used in Acts 2.38 uh, where Peter says, for the forgiveness of sins. And so the argument goes uh, that it really needs to be translated because of or or at, just as it is in Matthew 12.41 uh, and, and Acts 2.38, so that Peter is really saying uh, you need to repent and be baptized because... Your sins are forgiven. Um, so that so there's in a nutshell really the the argument. Uh, so Peter is teaching also that one should repent and be baptized again because their sins are forgiven, just as the people at Nineveh, Nineveh repented because of the preaching of of Jonah. But the trouble is, uh, even when we look at the original language, uh, those phrases don't match up. As as is being contended, and uh, the the argument that's being offered, and I would challenge you to go and investigate for yourself. Don't uh, you know anything that you ever hear on this radio program as we're studying the Word? I don't want you just to take, be, you know, because I because I say, and I want you to go and investigate. And I hope you have your Bible open too, and you're you're looking at these things with me. You know, you don't have to be a Greek scholar to see that the phrases in the original language look nothing alike, save for one word, which this argument is, is hanging on here. Um, but I will offer you another passage, passage in which the wording is exactly the same, exactly the same as we see in Acts 2.38. Um, and again, it goes back to what Jesus said. It's another passage where Jesus is speaking in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26 in verse 28, so here in the uh, near the end of his life, it's the night that he will be betrayed in, in the context of the Lord's Supper. Uh, as he is establishing that memorial, Jesus says in Matthew 26, uh, in verse uh, 28, that in referring to uh, the, the fruit of the vine and the cup that they are about to all partake of, he says that this is, uh, in verse 28, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for forgiveness of sins. Uh, so when Jesus says in Matthew 26, as he's holding up the cup that has the fruit of the vine in it, uh, saying that you need to, you know, as he's, as they're going to drink of it and he's establishing the memorial that we, that all Christians need to partake of, he's saying that this represents my blood of the covenant, which is poured out, which I'm about to pour out for the forgiveness of sins.
And that phrasing is exactly, in the original language, word for word, what Peter uses in Acts 2.38, when he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. Now here's my point. Jesus said he shed his blood for the purpose of forgiving man's sins. So if one is going to say that in Acts Acts 2.38 and interpret Acts 2.38 to teach that people um, repent and are baptized because their sins are already forgiven, because their sins are forgiven, then consistency demands that we read Matthew 26 the same way and that Jesus is saying he shed his blood. He died on the cross because man's sins are already forgiven. Would anyone be willing to go that far and to say such a thing who's at all familiar with Bible teaching? No, we can't be forgiven without the blood of Christ. Jesus is not saying I'm going to sacrifice my my life and my, my blood because man's sins are already forgiven. No, that's the very blood we have to be washed in. It's the very death we have to share in as we notice at the outset of our lesson. And so we see again that this argument doesn't hold hold any weight. Uh, another argument comes from 1 Peter 3.21, and this is a passage that we haven't looked at yet. So 1 Peter 3 and verse 21, uh, the argument goes that Peter here is not teaching, once again, uh, that water baptism is necessary or integral to the plan of salvation to, to save one's soul. Uh, so what does Peter say here in 1 Peter 3? 21 that seems to be so controversial um, so here he's in the context uh, Peter is speaking about Noah and his family and how Noah preached uh, and the spirit of Christ preached in Noah uh, when he was uh, on the earth and during the construction of the ark um, and he says that and he says in verse 20 uh, that during the construction of the ark in which that is a few uh, eight persons were brought safely through the water and then in verse 21, so here's the uh, the verse that is in question here. Uh, verse 21, Peter says, Corresponding to that, baptism now saves you. Not the removal of dirt from the flesh, but an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter says, corresponding to that in verse 21, that is referring back to the point that he's just made in verse 20 about Noah and his family, eight people, Uh, being brought safely through water, uh, Peter says, baptism now saves you. So again, Peter citing Noah and his family as examples of God's deliverance and, and pointing out how is it that God saved them? Well, we could answer that question any number of ways, right? That he was saved uh, by the ark, he was saved by his, by his faith, as Hebrews 11 points out. Um, you know, there's a number of ways that we could answer that question. The ark, the plans uh, that God gave to Noah, that he revealed to Noah in the revelation. Um, but what is the point that Peter is, is emphasizing here? The point that Peter is making. Again, it was that eight people were saved through water. And the New American Standard says in verse 21 that corresponding uh, to that, your translation might say, well, there's an antitype 
or there's a like figure or after a true likeness, uh, we are saved by baptism. So stop for a moment and uh, think with me. Would it make any sense for Peter to say in verse 20 that eight people were saved through water and then say corresponding to that, we are not saved through water? Now, of course it doesn't. That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. But that's what the argument contends, nevertheless, and what some in the religious world have come to believe. And the fact is that Bible doctrine teaches that Noah's salvation, again, as Peter says, was a type of our salvation. It was prefiguring, your translation might say, uh, depending on what translation you're reading from there. Uh, so, again, we can look at, when we the Bible, again, is its own best commentary. We look at the comparisons that are being made. We know that Noah was in danger of death, according to Genesis 6, 13 through 17. God planned to destroy the world, but he wanted to save Noah. Noah was found to be righteous and to have favor in God's eyes. Uh, and likewise, we too are in danger of death. Romans 3.23 teaches us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and that the wages of sin is death in Romans 6.23. But Noah was saved by God. Genesis 7.16 makes that clear, just as we are saved by God, Titus, Titus 3, verses 4 and 5. The Bible makes it clear that Noah was saved by grace in Genesis 6, 8, and that we are also saved by grace, Ephesians 2, and verse 8, that he was saved by faith, as I mentioned in Hebrews 11 and verse 7 earlier. We are also saved by faith, Romans 1, 16. He was saved by his obedience. Again, Hebrews 11 also teaches us, and we are also saved by by obedience, Romans six seventeen, as Paul says, we must obey from the heart the gospel. And Noah was brought safely through water, saved by water, first Peter three twenty, and we are also saved through water. First Peter three verse twenty one. Baptism now saves you. So why should someone with faith in Christ be baptized? Because the Bible clearly says so. And that will never change. We are saved the same way as those members of the church in the first century were. So have we put on Christ? That's the wording that Paul uses in Galatians 3.27, that those who are baptized into Christ have put on Christ or have gone into Christ as we put on clothes. And Paul taught that only those in Christ will never be condemned. Romans 8.1 So have we obeyed the gospel? That includes having faith in Christ, being repentant as Peter says, confessing our, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Romans 10.9-10 And then being baptized as we've seen over and over again in our study this morning. Well, we're going to leave it there because we're out of time. I thank you for tuning in. Hope that you'll join me again next week at the same time, Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Please feel free to visit our website at leonvalleychurch.org or email us at leonvalleychurch at gmail.com. There's a lot of resources on our webpage. If you care to use them, you can contact us that way. Of course, we'd love to see you at our services on Sundays and Wednesdays. 
Once again, I'm Jason Garcia, and this has been Faithful Sayings.